Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week, the week of May 29th, rolling into June. Monday is Memorial Day, a day that we reflect, a day that we think of our service members uh, here and abroad, protecting our freedoms and allowing us to do what we do at home. And uh, for that, I am grateful for those that serve and protect my freedom. Thank you. I appreciate all of you, and we'd love to hear from you. Don't be afraid to use the email at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you're serving overseas or domestically here within our country, protecting our borders and freedoms. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email, podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hear where you are, what you do, where you're stationed. Um, I think it'd be great. We'd love to share some of those stories. So don't be afraid to reach out. Anyway, this week, all new episodes by National Fire Radio. Some great heavy hitters. Some very powerful episodes will be coming out as well as a new episode from The Size Up on this Tuesday. So thanks for tuning in. As always, please do me a favor and give our sponsors a quick listen before we roll into the daily episode. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at boxalarmgrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders. They can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Hey, everyone. Jeremy, National Fire Radio today. No introduction needed for this gentleman. The other half of National Fire Radio, Rob Ridley. Rob, what's up, Jeremy. my man? How are you? Not much, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Are busy. you? Are you bu- yes. busy? Is g- busy can be good, but it also could be bad. Why is it good? Yeah. Talk to me why it's good. Uh, just I, I got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, moving forward to the new new promotion that I work as a 
training captain for my department. So it's been taking a lot of um, a lot of different energy than I thought it was going to. Um, but like we're we're kind of building. I don't want to say from the ground up, but we're we're moving upward and onward. So it's just been uh, a lot of uh, like some administrative stuff as well as putting gear sure. on and getting out with the guys doing training. How um. Wow. So you go from the front seat of the engine to uh, a car and you become the training captain and it's now, uh, is that a job coming in on the hotline? No, I was hoping, man. I wanted to take a ride along with you, but my question, my question, right. Is like the difference for you too. I mean, you had to adapt, right? Yeah. You're still adapting, yeah. right? I mean, your, your every day is very different than what it was. You went from shift to straight days. You now have the responsibility of teaching what four different uh, four different shifts, educating, working uh, with them, plus the volunteer membership. There you go. Um, for a combination department, and then uh, we've got um, three guys in the academy. We're hiring another four. Wow. We're doing a promotion, so it's like there's a lot of moving parts. It's awesome, exciting times. And then on top of that. Um, I have been teaching a, a class I developed with my other business um, a lot more. It, just this year it came up, and I, I think I've done three or four so far in the last two months uh, about active shooters in the fire department. So it's been kind of kind of nuts. I'm getting it at both ends. Well, I mean, and that's cool, right? So um, a whole lot there to unpack that you just threw at me. So the intent today, you and I were going to go down this road of talking about the class that you offer, right? You have a class that uh, that you teach right now. It's called Active Shooter Fire Department Personnel in the Line of Fire. Um, it should be said that outside of the firehouse, too, you've been a gun uh, a gun instructor for many, many years. Um, yes. You are uh, always active with your firearms and in that business as well, and that's been something that you are very passionate about outside of the fire service. So it's kind of like two worlds have collided and what you've done and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've taken the experience from both aspects and put it together for a program that's geared towards the fire department in regards to active shooter situations. Yeah. And, and it's, um, I mean, active shooter is really kind of the one that catches the headlines all the time, but for us, it's also about violent attacks because, you know, it, the active shooter is, is a very specific attack that can happen, but there are, you know, members of the uh, fire and EMS that come under violent attack every day. So it was also about kind of raising awareness to that and developing a program to address those issues and how we can kind of better prepare ourselves for that experience. God forbid it ever happens. So break that down a little bit, man. What does that look like? Like, what is the, what does the class look like? What can people expect from it? What do you, what do you like about it? Talk to me a little bit about the experiences and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah. I mean, so the, the, the inspiration for the class, unfortunately came out of the tragedy that happened in West Webster, New York on December 24th of 2012. Um, the members up there were responding to a house fire that was intentionally lit. They were ambushed by a gentleman who, uh, um, actually I can't even say he's a gentleman, he's, you know, subhuman. Um, he was, uh, they, he ambushed the firefighters as they pulled up to this job and started shooting at them with a rifle. Um, he got the rifle through a straw purchase, which he was a known felon. So he wasn't, uh, supposed to be able to possess a firearm. He had his neighbor, purchased the gun for him, which is illegal. And he used that, uh, that, uh, unlawful practice to ambush and he shot and killed two firefighters and he critically wounded a third. 
And uh, it was something that I remember coming home on Christmas morning and, you know, I, I looked at my dad and I started crying because I said, how would you, how would I, how would I explain this to anybody? Like, you know, your dad, like, you, I mean, you and I both grew up in the fire service, especially. So like dad runs out the door Christmas morning to go to a house fire and he's killed by gunfire. And, you know, the, just that, that loss, it, it was unspeakable to me um, because and it, I was at a, a true loss for words with this incident that happened. And uh, in the back of my mind, I started thinking like, all right, what, what can we do to start educating firefighters about violent attacks? Because this was not the first one that happened. Uh, there's been a history of this, um, whether it be going back to riots during civil unrest or actual bad actors who are trying to kill firefighters and other EMS personnel um, for whatever reason. And I started to think about these incidents that happened, research them and kind of study the violence so I could better prepare other first responders to take proactive and reactive action to better protect themselves if they were able to come under attack and like so that was where the class kind of came from so we we break it down into a couple different things we, we talk about violence the types of violence um situational awareness and a lot of like trusting your instincts and then we review incidents of um that have happened in the past and we kind of start breaking those down so we'll talk about active shooter events whether it's a active killing event that happens from a, a mass shooter versus something that's specifically targeted to the fire department and we either are, are a target of opportunity or we are the target um, to, you know, crazy encounters where there's an EMS call. And one of the examples I have is a, a sheriff's department responds on an EMS call and the sheriff deputy has a panic attack and he shoots over top of the EMS personnel. And then he has a panic attack and the paramedic has to take the gun from him and start addressing the person that's a threat. And it's just, I mean, it goes sideways so fast, but, um, you know, to like a, a firefighter out in San Diego that gets stabbed, um, physical assaults, and we kind of, we break that all down to kind of make the, the firefighter and the first responder aware of that one, this stuff is happening, two, you get to see it, because I think when we talk about things like it's, you know, in today's day and age of video and everything else, it's so much easier to visualize something if we can see it, but that exposure, now it puts it in our head, um, and then we, we kind of go from there. And then we have a you know conversation about the rescue task force, tourniquets, um, personal first aid kits, you know, things to have that are always good for all of us to have, you know. And then if you have to go into like body armor and stuff like that, we, we talk about that. Interesting times for obviously the police departments and society, but mm -hmm. man, along with that comes the response of the fire department. EMS, fire department response, all of it put together, packaged up. You know, you see a lot of joint training exercises now between police departments and, and, the, and the other emergency services, fire and EMS, you know, to responses like this. Um, I think it's absolutely important. And that's why I wanted to discuss this a little bit today with you. I'm so happy that you put together a program that you're now out and about teaching. I think you said you've done, what, four, four, uh, four of these conferences already uh, where you're educating. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is like this is one of those things that is prevalent. It's happening in the smallest of communities 
to the largest of communities. It's not just an inner city problem anymore, as we can see on the national stage with with the mass shootings, you know, the, the active shooter situations that are happening now. Um, you know, you're looking at targeted enriched environments like schools, malls, things like that, that we have a presence in every single day in our normal response procedures. So, like, Rob, when, when we break this down, I mean, now in society more than ever, this is something that we need to, uh, to focus on. You know, I know that when I talk to my children, Right. My girls are 15 and 16, the ones that are still home with me and they go to the mall with their friends or they go to the diner. I've had conversations with my kids about if it doesn't look right, get out of there. If it doesn't sound right, leave, report it, talk about it. How important are just simple things like that conversations and being willing to have them? Well, you know, in, in, in class, I use, uh, you know, I take my you know fire service instructor one right and we go from the known to the unknown and. For the EMS folks out there, I say, you know, we start every scenario off with, uh, you know, BSI is a scene safe and we're doing a size up and it doesn't have to be that technical, but we've, we've been doing this forever. Like, you know, what, the first size up that I ever had to do was when I went to step out into the roadway and my mom grabbed me by the nape of my neck and said, hey, look both ways before you cross the street so you don't get squashed with a car. And we talk about that size up and it's, you know. It is that awareness of, I, I look at it as having a protective bubble around you and you're aware of everything that is in that immediate vicinity of that protective bubble. Um, and the objects of people, you make eye contact with people, you don't have to stare them down and mean mug them or anything like that, but you just, a simple eye contact that says, hey, I see you. Um, as, you know, and, and, and when it comes to us, we're looking like, you know, I think uh, John Korea, who's a, an expert in, in um, self-defense and, and whatnot said, the uh, eyes are the uh, gateway to the soul, but the hands show the intent. Um, so when I'm looking at somebody and I'm doing that size up, I, I see their eyes and make that eye contact, you know, and I look at their hands to see what their hands are doing, because that's, that's the truest intent. If they, you know, are their hands digging in their pockets? Are they, do they have a weapon, whatever it might be, but it's just a quick, quick look. And it's just how we're going to size that situation up. And then you hit it on the, on the head with intuition, you know, what you're talking about, that bad feeling yeah. is intuition. It's our survival instincts. There's a great book that I recommend on the firearms uh, front um, called the gift of fear by Gavin De Becker, because society today, unfortunately has been, you know, I'll call it a, a, a buy off of uh, the, you know, the woke syndrome that happens, but like we will um, not listen to our instincts and because we are worried about upsetting a social norm. And the yes. example that yes. is used in the book is uh, a young female will be in the lobby and she'll be next to a guy. Maybe he looks like me. I don't know, but she gets a creepy feeling The elevator doors open up and the guy walks in the elevator and every instinct in her body is saying, don't get in the elevator with this guy, but she doesn't want to appear rude. So she gets in the elevator with him. And then when those doors close, all that guy has to do is hit the emergency stop. And now he's locked in the steel box with that, that uh, female party. And, you know, I, I, t I say to people all the time, have we ever had the uh, pins and needles? The, you know, you get goosebumps for no reason. You get that pit in your stomach. That is your intuition. It's your survival instincts and your brain working so much faster than what you can, you know, possibly comprehend that yes. supercomputer in between your ears is going off. So yeah. when that happens, you have to stop. And we've been to fires where things may or may not have gone right. Or, you know, it's like you, you, you can, you can look back and be like, yeah, you knew this job or, or you hear the dispatch and you hear it in the dispatcher's voice. 
and you don't realize it at the moment, but you're like, man, this accident is going to be really bad. And, you know, you get there and it's, it's like a horrific grinder. That's that intuition. And it's our body working. Like I said, it's, it works faster. And, uh, I, you know, Molly and I went to new Orleans once we were walking to a restaurant and it happened. Like I, I felt a knot in my stomach and it almost pulled me back. We were, we, we somehow, as we were drinking, wandered off Bourbon Street and we were now on a dark, um, a dark street and we, I didn't even realize it. And all of a sudden I just stopped and it didn't feel right. And we, not in a run, but we walked very quickly back to Bourbon Street, back to where there was witnesses, lighting, police. And to this day, I can't tell you what it was, but I know that that, that feeling of dread you know, suddenly overpowered me and I stopped dead in my tracks. And once I stopped and I grabbed Molly's hand, she felt it too. And we got out of there and it was, you know, I could have been crazy. There could have been nothing going no, on. Brother, I, I just, this literally just happened to me three weeks ago. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it was a situation that, uh, you know, oh man, man, am I, this is wow. Yeah. Brother, there's so much to this. I mean, I literally, yeah. like we all have had experiences where, our gut is telling us, our intuition is telling us something. And now more than ever, and having kids and understanding this, this world in which we live today, it's almost like you have to tell people it's okay to put yourself first. It's okay to believe that you want to believe in your gut. And if your intuition is telling something, go with that. It's okay. Like, I don't think ever before we had to explain to people that that's okay. And now more than ever, we do. And with my kids, I explained that. My wife and I had a situation a few weeks back that I was just alluding to that, like, mm -hmm. literally, I mean, I could get into it, but, like, we were visiting friends out of town, didn't know the town we were in. I come around the block. We wanted to stop, get a bottle of something to bring to a friend's house. Right. And we didn't buy before we left. And we were like an hour and a half away from home. We didn't know the community. I dropped my wife off. As soon as she hops out to run into the liquor store, all I was going to do was circle the block, come back, pick her up anywhere mm -hmm. in the world or, you know, in a lot of communities. That's no problem. As soon as I dropped her off and pulled away that my stomach sank and I go, this is not the neighborhood for this. Holy shit. And I literally like double parked around the corner and literally came out, got jumped out of my truck, ran around the corner. I was running down the sidewalk because my gut was screaming at me to go. And as I'm running down the sidewalk, my wife comes out of the liquor store full of tears because a woman, a crackhead in the store, threatened to kill her. Yep. And my gut was so on with that, but I wish I picked it up. 10 seconds sooner, I would never let her out of the car, but we were in such a rush that you didn't take in your surroundings at first. And I was just like, hop out, jump in. I'll go around the block, pick you back up because that's the world we live in. Like that's what right. we're accustomed to. And then all of a sudden we're out of our environment, but man, my intuition was screaming. And I, and Terry said the same thing. She walked into the store and as soon as she walked in, she wishes she turned around and walked out and she didn't because it was like yeah. that, like, no, I can muscle through this. Like nothing's going to happen, you know? So intuition's huge. Are you looking for new forcible entry tools, seatbelt cutters, pouches, bags, screwdrivers, or even hose straps? Then head over to our friends at Modus Fire Rescue. They just might have what you're looking for. They are best known for their tool, the Snagger, but currently they have more than 25 products on their site, with more being added monthly. Also, while you're there, use code THESIZEUP, one word, to save 5% off your order. I think what's really important, Rob, as first responders, especially in the medical community, right, EMS, fire-based EMS, we have to trust our people 
to use that street smart, to use that intuition. And I really liked what you said. Intent is in the hands, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, never before have we taught like we do now when it comes to working with patients, fire scenes, all these different things, but really taking more of a second to digest it all, to take it all in so you get a better idea and picture of what's happening. Well, and it's, and it's reprogramming your size up for like your standard operating procedures, you know, for your fire department or your protocols in EMS. It's redoing that size up just so it happens naturally. Yeah. Because, and, and, and that's, that's the whole key that I try to get off in the class is because there's, when this thing kicks off, when this, when this firecracker gets lit, the fuse is going to burn so fast and it's going to pop and you'll be stunned because that's the, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the, the speed of the attack is going to be very quickly. It's not going to happen slowly. Right. So if we just have that in our mind as we're operating, and like you said, that, that instinct happens and you get that feeling, hey, you know, you need to start looking at, at, at several factors. Like you said, the eyes are the pathway of the soul, but the hands show the intent. So, you know, that's, it, it's just, it's so important to kind of start doing that, looking at exits, looking at, you know, all these things and, yes. and people think it's a paranoid lifestyle, but what we do to kind of help us bridge that gap in the class is we talk about the uh, Colonel Cooper uh, color code scale. So you have like condition white, you're at home, you're relaxed, you have a nice bottle of wine open, you know, doors locked, everybody's in, you know, there's, you're in condition white, there's nothing, nothing to be bothered about. Condition orange, you're outside, you're, you know, you're walking around and it's not that uh, big of a deal but you're aware of everybody that's around you. You have that protective bubble going on. I'm sorry, condition yellow. Condition orange would be, you see that flag, like something like that intuition kicks off or maybe maybe it's that thing that doesn't make sense. Like some, why is, you know, you're walking down the street and you notice somebody came across the street and now they're walking directly at you. Yes. Like, and then condition red, we're going to take action. You know, like you've set a predetermined boundary in your in your mind that, okay, you know what? I don't know this person. I don't know why they're coming at, at me, but I'm going to give them like a quick command, like stunt my voice. Hey, step back, you know, Hey, can I help you? And like you get into that kind of semi blade off position where you're a little bit better if you have to go hands on with somebody. But at that point, if they keep coming at you, if they keep doing the things, you're going to start taking action. And, you know, from the gun world, when we talk about firearms and defensive firearms use the, misconception is it's always go to the gun and shoot, but like you can run away. And I, you know, I impress upon that to my students all the time. Like that is a, that is an actionable thing to do is to run away and get yourself out of it. Obviously if you can't run away for some reason, then you're going to have to come up with some other plans and, you know, we have to figure out the appropriate level of force that we're going to use to mitigate the situation. Um, Which is another portion of the class that we talk about that, you know, and, and it's funny because last, you know, the other night when I was doing this in Ulster County, they asked me about the use of force. And I said, listen, if you're in the back of an ambulance going down the road and somebody's trying to hurt you, you can't escape. So you're either going to let them stab you, shoot you, assault you, whatever the, the case is going to be until that ambulance stops. But you're going to have to defend yourself. And you have to understand that justification aspect of when you can use physical force, when you can use deadly physical force. And when to stop using that force. And unfortunately, we've seen people overuse force and kill somebody after the person has given up or submitted or it's in the whatever. Headline. It's in the headlines right now. Right. And, and so we need to be 
we need to be cognizant of that because, you know, afterwards the attorneys, like we're going to sit with, you know, our attorney because we may have to possibly defend ourselves in court and we have to be able to articulate, hey, listen, I'm strapped into the bench seat of the ambulance. I'm taking care of my patient. He's strapped into the stretcher. He pulls a knife out and he starts trying to stab me. I had no choice but to scream for my partner to stop and start hitting him with the tablet or hit him with the clipboard. We used to jokingly call it oxygen therapy. And I did that until he stopped trying to stab me or he dropped the knife and the ambulance came to a stop and I could get away from him. Right. Um, or her, it doesn't, you know, there's non-binary in the violence here. Um, but like you have to be able to have that thought process in your head because so many times we watch people freeze. I mean, think about our fire ground. You get that probationary firefighter and he gets his first ripper. They have that momentary pause where they get out of the truck and go, holy shit, this place is going. And you're like, come on. And it snaps them out of it. But violence is different. It's not a house fire. So, you know, we got to kind of get ourselves prepared for that. And then also prepared for that justification of force of how we're going to, you know, handle that if it, if it happens. How important is it for departments to get training like this on their, on the line for their people? I mean, you know, departments have to stay current and, you know, we got departments that are buying body armor, buying uh, helmets, you know, and so on for their, their medics, their personnel, their engine companies, right? There's some departments that are much more proactive in this approach than others, but how important is it to provide our people with the right training? Uh, it's very important because the, you know, and I, I often talk about in class, like there's, you know, you have like uh I'm going to like screw up my terminology here, but there's intentional violence. So, you know, I, I, I say to you one night, we're having a couple beers and I go, Jeremy, Terry looks really good tonight. You know, it's a great outfit. You go, what the hell do you mean like by that? And you take it the wrong way. And I go, Hey, relax, man. I'm just telling you that your wife looks nice. And then next thing you know, you're like, you don't talk about my wife that way. And I take offense. And you're taking offense. And I'm like, do you want to go step outside and handle this like men, Jeremy? And you say, you're goddamn right. I do you're going to defend Terry's honor. And we go out and we have combat by mutual agreement. It's intentional. We decide to do that. And there are rules. Now, rightfully so, I've spoke out of turn. You start beating the crap out of me. And I go, all right, Jeremy, I got the point. I give up. I'm never going to say anything like this again. And in that mutual combat, we've now ended it. You've won the fight. You've proved your point. And that's, you know, we're going to shake hands and we'll go drink a beer afterwards. And there's no problem. Um, and some would say that's how we used to handle things. Then there's asocial violence. It's the violence that is, uh, you know, either it's premeditated, I'm going to murder you, or the person sees right through you and they destroy you. And we need to make sure that our people understand that that violence is out there because it could come in the sense of, uh, you know, an intoxicated individual. The old, um, like, you know, when you were riding here at Fairview, that was when eight balls were a, were a major thing. So you have that person who did heroin and, and cocaine, we get there, they're unresponsive, they're not breathing, we shove that Narcan into them, well, that cocaine's still on board. So now now they're ready to fight. You know, they, They've got that adrenaline of all that coke going through them, or they've taken some other kind of crazy drug. And like we have to understand there's not going to be any reason there. The active shooter, you know, if somebody comes in, I, it, it kills me because there's a, a college that I'm familiar with that teaches its students to cooperate with the shooter. That shooter is not there to make friends and make demands and have, you know, a political agenda. He is there for one reason, and that is to, to kill. So why would you cooperate with that guy? Why wouldn't you have a welcome party of books, chairs, brooms, tables, 
whatever you can to, to try to hurt him and make him stop shooting. But cooperation is not going to work, and it has never worked in any active, active killer scenario. So this is the training that we need to get for our members because yeah. it could be the psychopath who's on a uh, who's trying to kill people. It could be uh, somebody who's hypoxic or has a head injury, or somebody who's on mind-altering substances, recreational pharmaceuticals, as I like to call them. But you know, now they're on PCP and they're trying to to hurt somebody, and we need to recognize that because. That will happen before the act. Well, statistically, we'll run across that in in all as, uh, aspects of American life before before the active shooter. Mm. You know, so it's it's super important to understand all of them. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to it, man, and um, you certainly have the background for it, which is fantastic. Mixing your passion for the fire service as well as firearms. Uh, and the instruction that you've done on firearms for many, many, many years, ever since I've known you, um, and so on. So it sounds like a valued course. I have not sat through it yet, but I am looking forward to doing that. But I do want to say this. The reason why we wanted to talk about this today was, one, because you are giving this conference or you're getting this um, education out there. Uh, people can bring you in and, and have you come in and teach this course. Um, and yeah. for me, that's very important. It's not just because, obviously, you know, I mean, you're my buddy and we want to get you out there and, and to share, share your knowledge and experience. Um, but I think it's, it's really valuable training uh, and knowledge that needs to be passed on and that departments need to be taking these proactive stances and providing their members the best training that's out there for situations like this. And I know that this course brings tremendous value uh, across the board, Rob. If people want to find you, they want to learn more about this, where can they find you? How do they reach out to you, bro? Uh, Robert Ridley at nationalfireradio.com. Uh, Instagram on Fairview39. Um, and I I don't know if I'm on Twitter anymore. I, I think I have a Twitter account, but I don't even know what it is. <laughs> so. I get it, man. Well, yeah, well, you know, hey, ups and downs on Twitter. So um, totally get that. But um, good, man. Thank you for sharing this with me. I just, uh, it's yeah. always fun because I get to learn as well. And uh, I love watching my guys, uh, you know, my friends uh, succeed. And I know that uh, this course has been very well received, um, you know, regionally. And uh, but the message is very strong and it's powerful. Uh, and people need to uh, take a proactive stand just like we need to do in situations like this. We need to do it on the training side, too, um, to be proactive in educating our people so that they know how to perform when they're put on the spot to do so. So, Rob, you know, awesome. What? I I was just going to say, too, uh, yeah. like the, there's, you know, a couple other uh, just two other points I want to make. One, um, you know, in the in the course, we, we talk about firefighters who are unfortunately shot by law enforcement on scenes of like on EMS calls that escalated into violence where there is a crossfire incident. And it's important for us to kind of have that discussion. So when you talk about that training before, there's the violence aspect, but then there's the side where things go sideways and we have to run away. Um, not because we don't want to back up the police or anything, but we don't have a gun in the gunfight. And there was a simple crossfire incident that killed the firefighter. Um, and then the, the other thing is just to make sure, like at the end of the class, when we do the review, we talk about the considerations for command and like from the you know, from the line for the firefighter, or the first responder to command for the chiefs and the captains that are out there, VMS rescue squads, is that you have to know that it's about one person every 10 seconds is going to get shot in an active shooter situation. So like I do hit on the response considerations because if a typical mass shooter is allowed seven minutes before anybody intervenes, 
you know, this guy, Ed Monk, um, he, he's phenomenal as far as his uh, training program and, and active killers. But it's like, you're gonna have at least 23 victims. So where are you gonna, like in today's day and age for us in New York, where are we gonna get 23 ambulances at? Because each one of these are gonna be a person who's been shot with a gun. They're gonna require a high level of care. And, you know, like it's simple things like if an incident happens with your own department, who's gonna be the public information officer? Who's going to be in because we have to do a press conference at some point to talk about the incident that happened especially if our members had to defend ourselves so we've got to kind of have some of that stuff worked out and we also like just just one more thing that we we add so it's not just for the frontline guys it's for the command staff as well cool good all, all great talking points rob i mean it's just yeah. it's a, it's an all-encompassing class for sure man and there's a lot uh there's a lot to come to the table and i think it's something like this that is you know i, I don't want to say it's new but it is it's newer if you will when when realizing we have to uh prepare ourselves and, and address you know potential situations that we're going to deal with there's so many aspects of it that, um, you know, it's hard to think of all the things that need to be covered when the situation arises. And so to do your homework prior, to work with people that have put together a program that can educate, um, it's huge, man. So I would encourage you, if you're if you're somebody that makes decisions or you want to pass it up the line in your department, think about Rob and his course, Active Shooter, Fire Department Personnel in the Line of Fire. It is a valuable course that brings a lot to the table. Rob, thanks for sharing a little bit about it today, pal. I always appreciate you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, guys, reach out to Rob. Rob Ridley or Robert Ridley or Rob Ridley at NationalFireRadio.com? Robert. Robert. One full name on that one. We did. Wow, man. It's it's formal. I mean, you know, you're a formal type yeah. of guy. So, that's good. Buddy, I appreciate you as always. So, good luck with it. And uh, we'll be promoting it and educating along the way. If anybody's got any questions, please reach out to Rob. Let us know. Uh, we'll get you in touch with Rob, however it works out, man. But, uh, brother, thank you. Appreciate you as always. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Cool. Guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Later.